Oh my goodness. Let me just get this door closed. Ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is cold out there. Wow. Snow everywhere. Oh, covered. Good thing I've got these boots. Ah, oh, right. Let's get these coats off. Don't need this sweater. Wow, cold out there. I really can't wait for summer. Okay, okay. Let's begin. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Whenever and wherever in the realms of time and space, my voice finds you. Welcome. My name is Aaron James, and you're listening to episode 25 of Kids Myth Plus. Our mission at Kids Myth Plus is to discover and excavate from the depth of our shared human culture stories, sometimes lesser known, sometimes surprising, always carrying bits of magic and timeless knowledge, waiting for the careful eye to see it, for the discerning ear to discover it. The ground, the soil in which we dig for these stories, where are our cultural treasures buried and hidden? Why in our mythology, our fairy tales, our fables and legends, of course, What's your favorite season? Me, I'll say summer, but even in the cold winter, I can see lots of beauty around. Can you think of some beautiful things about a cold, snowy winter day? I love the way the bare tree branches and twigs look when frozen in a little shell of ice, like they've been turned to delicate glass. Have you ever known someone who just always seems to see the bad things around them? Someone who refuses to see the magic, the possibilities, the beauty? Well, in today's episode, we learn about a terrible invention created by a giggling evil demon a mirror that reflects only the bad things and none of the good. Yes, we know the world is full of good and beautiful, but also full of terrible and evil things. Sometimes we say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Where some may see beauty, others may not. Does this mean one is right and the other is wrong? Today's story, in a special winter series from Kids Myth Plus, we bring you The Snow Queen first published in December 1844 by Danish author Hans Christian Andersen. Hans Christian Andersen's The Snow Queen is packed with all kinds of symbolism. Symbolism is a literary device, or in other words, a method, a tool used by authors to represent something beyond the literal meaning of the symbol. For example, a river. A river could symbolize movement, constant change. 
or a mountain. A mountain could symbolize power, strength, or an immense challenge. As you listen to this story, keep your ears open and try to spot some of the possible symbolism. Today's episode will include the first two parts, part one, about the mirror, and part two, a little boy and a little girl. Enjoy the story. The Snow Queen, a tale in seven stories. It was quite a long, long time ago when there lived a wicked and mischievous hobgoblin. He was indeed one of the worst kinds. In fact, he was a real demon. One day he was feeling extremely delighted and terribly pleased with himself because, as you see, he had just invented a mirror with the peculiarity that every good and pretty thing, every just and true, every bit of radiant faithful beauty reflected in it, shrank away to almost nothing. On the other hand, every bad and good-for-nothing thing, every imperfection, every blemish, stood out and looked its worst. The most beautiful landscapes reflected in it looked like boiled spinach, and the best people became hideous, or else they were upside down and had no bodies. Their faces were distorted beyond recognition, and if they had even one blemish or sore, it appeared to spread all over the face, all over the nose and mouth. The demon thought this immensely amusing. He thought it hilarious. If a good thought or smile passed through a person's mind, it turned to a sad and depressed grimace in the mirror, and this caused real delight to the demon. All the scholars in the demon's school, for he kept a school, reported that a miracle had taken place. Now, for the first time, it had become possible to see what the world and all humanity were really, truly like. They ran throughout the entire world with the mirror, until at last there was not a land or a person which had not been seen in this distorting mirror. They even wanted to fly up to the heavens with it to mock the gods and the angels, but the higher they flew, the more the mirror bent and twisted, so much so that they could hardly hold it. And at last it slipped out of their menacing little hands and fell tumbling down through space to the earth. The mirror shattered into hundreds and thousands and millions and billions of teeny tiny bits. Even then, broken and shattered, it did more harm than ever. Some of the bits of the mirror were no bigger than a grain of sand, and these evil bits scattered about the entire world, getting into people's eyes. And once in, they stuck there and distorted everything those unfortunate people looked at. Each tiny grain of glass retained the same dark power as that possessed by the whole mirror. Some people even got a bit of glass into their hearts, and that was worst of all, for the heart became cold like a block of ice. 
Some of the fragments were so big that they were used for window panes. But it would be a terrible thing to look at a friend or a brother or sister or anything through one of these windows. Other bits were made into spectacles. And it was a bad business indeed when people put on these spectacles, expecting to see more clearly. The demon laughed till his sides ached. It tickled him so immensely to see the mischief he had caused. Some of these fragments were still left floating about in the world. And here we shall hear what happened. Second story about a little boy and a little girl. In a big city crowded with houses, buildings, and people, where there is no room for gardens, people have to be content with flowers and pots instead. In one of these cities lived two children who managed to have something bigger than a flower pot for a garden. They weren't brother and sister, but they were just as fond of each other as if they had been. Their parents lived opposite each other in two fourth-floor apartments. The roof of one house just touched the roof of the next one, with only a rainwater gutter between them. They each had a little window, and one had only to step over the rain gutter to get from one house to the other. Each of the parents had a large window box in which they grew kitchen herbs like rosemary and basil, and a little rose tree. There was one in each box, and they both grew splendidly. When it occurred to the parents to put the boxes across the gutter from house to house, they then looked just like two banks of flowers. The vines hung down over the edges of the boxes, and the roses threw out long creeper vines which twined around the windows. It was almost like a green triumphal arch. The boxes were high, and the children knew they mustn't climb on top of them but they were often allowed to have their little stools out under the rose tree. And they had delightful games there. Of course, in the winter, there was an end to these amusements. The windows were often covered with frost. They would warm copper pennies on the stove or by the fire and stick them on the frozen window panes. There, they made lovely peepholes perfectly round. Then a bright eye would peep through these holes, one from each window, The little boy's name was Kay, and the little girl's Gerda. In the summer, they could reach each other with one bound, but in the winter, they had to go down all the stairs in one house, and up all the stairs in the other, and outside there were icy sidewalks and snowdrifts all around. Look, the white bees are swarming, said the old grandmother. Have they a queen bee too? asked the little boy, for he knew that there was a queen among the real bees. Yes, indeed they have, said the grandmother. She flies where the swarm is thickest. She is biggest of them all. And she never remains on the ground. She always flies up again to the sky. Many a winter's night she flies through the streets and peeps in at the window. And then the ice freezes on the panes into wonderful patterns like flowers. Oh yes, we've seen that, said both children. And then they knew it was true. Can the Snow Queen come in here? asked the little girl. Just let her try, said the boy, and I'll put her on the stove where she'll melt. 
but Grandmother just smoothed his hair and continued telling her stories. In the evening, when little Kay was at home and dressed in his pajamas, he crept up onto the chair by the window and peeped out the little hole. A few snowflakes were falling, and one of these, the biggest, remained on the edge of the window. It grew bigger and bigger until it became the figure of a woman, dressed in the finest white silk, which appeared to be made of millions of starry snowflakes. She was delicately lovely, but all ice, glittering, dazzling ice. Still, she was alive. Her eyes shone like two bright stars, but there was no rest and no peace in those eyes. She nodded to the window and waved her hand. The little boy was frightened and jumped down off the chair. He told himself later it was surely just a big bird that had flown past the window that night. The next day was bright and frosty and then came the thaw and after that the spring. The sun shone, green buds began to appear, the swallows built their nests and people began to open their windows. The little children began to play in their garden on the roof. The roses were in splendid bloom that summer. The children took each other by the hands, kissed the roses, and rejoiced in the bright sunshine. What lovely summer days they were, and how delightful it was to sit out under the fresh rose tree, which seemed never tired of blooming. Kay and Gerda were looking at a picture book of birds and other animals one day. It had just struck five o'clock by the clock tower bell when Kay said, Oh, something struck my heart, and I've got something in my eye. The little girl put her arm around his neck. He blinked his eye. There was nothing to be seen. Oh, I, I think it's gone, he said, but it was not gone. It was one of those very grains of glass from the mirror. The magic mirror. You remember that horrid mirror in which all good and great things reflected in it became small and mean while the bad things were magnified and every flaw became more and more apparent? Poor Kay. A grain of it had gone straight to his heart and would soon turn it to a lump of ice. He didn't feel it anymore, but it was there. Why do you cry? He asked. It makes you look ugly. There's nothing the matter with me. How terrible, he suddenly cried. There's a worm in that rose. Disgusting. And that one is quite crooked. After all, they're all nasty roses. And so are the boxes they're growing in. He kicked the box and broke off two of the roses. What are you doing, Kay? Cried the little girl. He broke off another rose and then ran back into his window believing dear little Gerda alone. When the next day she got out the picture book again, he said it was only fit for babies. When his grandmother told him stories, he always complained, and when he could manage it, he liked to get behind her chair where she couldn't see him, put on her spectacles, and imitate her. He did it very well, and people laughed at him. He was soon able to imitate everyone in the streets. He could make fun of all their peculiarities and little quirks. He will turn out to be a clever fellow, people would say. But it was all that bit of glass in his heart, that bit of glass in his eye, and it made him tease even little Gerda. 
who was so devoted to him. He played quite different games now. He seemed to have grown older. One winter's day, when the snow was falling fast, he brought in a big magnifying glass. He held out the edge of his blue coat and let the snowflakes fall upon it. Now look through the glass, Gerda, he said. Every snowflake was magnified and looked like a lovely flower or a sharply pointed star. Don't you see how cleverly they're made, said Kay. Much more interesting than looking at real flowers. And there's not a single flaw in them. They're perfect, if only they wouldn't melt. Shortly after, he appeared in his thick gloves with his sled on his back. He shouted right into Gerda's ear, I'm leaving now. I'm going to sled in the big square where the older kids play. And away he went. In the big square, some of the kids used to tie their little sleds to the merchant's carts and go sledding along as fast as they could. They had no end of fun over it. Just in the middle of their games, an even bigger sled came along. It was painted white, and the occupant wore a white fur coat and cap. The sled drove twice around the square, and Kay quickly grabbed hold and tied his sled behind it. Then off they went, faster and faster into the next street. The driver turned round and nodded to Kay in the most friendly way, just as if they had known each other. Every time Kay wanted to untie his sled, the person turned around nodding again, and Kay stayed where he was, and they drove right out through the town gates. The snow began to fall so heavily that the little boy could hardly see a hand before his face. He undid the cords and tried to get away from the big sled, but it was no use. His little sled was stuck, and on and on they rushed faster than the wind. He shouted aloud, but nobody heard him, and the sled tore on through the snowdrifts. Every now and then it gave a bound and flew through the air as if they were jumping over hedges and streams. He was very frightened, and he wanted to say his prayers, but he could only remember the multiplication tables. The snowflakes grew bigger and bigger till at last they looked like big white birds. All of a the sudden they skidded to one side, the big sled stopped, and the person who drove it got up, her coat and cap smothered in snow. It was a tall and upright woman, all shining, glimmering white. The Snow Queen herself. We've come along at a good pace. We've made good time, she said. But it's cold enough to kill. Creep inside my bearskin fur coat. She took him into the sled to sit by her, wrapped him in her furs, and he felt as if he were sinking into a cold but soft snowdrift. Are you still cold? She asked, and she kissed him on the forehead. Oh, it was colder than ice. It went to his very heart, which was already more than half ice. He felt as if he were dying, but only for a moment, and then it seemed to have done him good. He no longer felt the cold. My sled! Don't forget my sled. He only remembered it now. It was tied on to one of those white birds which flew along behind them. 
the Snow Queen kissed Kay again. And then he forgot all about little Gerda, Grandmother, and all the others at home. Now I mustn't kiss you anymore, she said, or I may kiss you to death. Kay looked at her. She was so beautiful. A cleverer, more beautiful face could hardly have been imagined. She did not seem to be made of ice now, as she was outside the window when she waved her hand to him. In his eyes, she was quite perfect, and he was not a bit afraid of her. He boasted to her that he could do mental arithmetic and mathematics as far as fractions, and that he knew the number of square miles and the number of inhabitants of the country. She always smiled at him, and then he thought that he surely didn't know enough. And he looked up into the wide expanse of the heavens, into which they rose higher and higher as she flew with him on a dark cloud, while the storm surged around them, the wind ringing in their ears like well-known old songs. They flew over the woods and lakes, over oceans and islands, the cold wind whistled below them. The wolves howled. The black crows flew screaming over the sparkling snow. On they flew over woods and lakes, over oceans and islands. The cold wind whistled down below them. The wolves howled. The black crows flew screaming over the sparkling snow. But up above, the moon shone bright and clear, and Kay looked at it all the long, long winter nights. And by day, he slept at the Snow Queen's foot. the bad and the evil in humanity. Why would the hobgoblins create such a thing? And why did they get such pleasure in it? What do you think the author is saying here? What about the true nature of people? What do you think the author is saying here about the true nature of people? About the hobgoblins, the little evil demons who created this mirror? Little Kay and Gerda were the best of friends. Some versions call the boy Kai, which I do like as well, but we went with Kay. Kay and Gerda share a garden. They're connected by nature, and their love and adoration of it also connects them. Their love for the beautiful rose especially. Grandmother tells stories by the fire, and Kay later gets a glimpse of the real Snow Queen. A piece of that cursed mirror lodges itself in Kay's eye and makes its way to his heart. Were you looking for symbolism? It's only the first two parts of this seven-part epic, and wow, I'm seeing a lot. Think about it. Some of the possible symbols I'm getting are the garden, the mirror, of course, and the demon with its school, the Snow Queen herself. What about the garden? 
Gerda and Kay's happy place, the garden of nature and goodness, even existing in the middle of a bustling and busy city or town. What's that mean? The mirror. What could that nasty mirror symbolize? Criticism? Unhealthy criticism? Cynicism? Pessimism? A lot of isms, yes, I know. Cynicism, that's a big word. Cynicism is like when someone just refuses to see or recognize the good in other people. The belief that people cannot be trusted and are only out for themselves, completely selfish. What does the Snow Queen herself symbolize? Is it symbolic that Kay disrespects his grandmother and others, including Gerda? He has no interest in the garden and now only wants to go off and play with the older boys. What is this saying? Any larger message here? Any symbolism? Watch out for the symbols surrounding you in your daily life. What are they? What are they saying? Are they saying anything at all? Are we listening? Should we? We truly do hope you've enjoyed the first two parts of The Snow Queen by Hans Christian Andersen. And be sure to look out for episode 26 of Kids Myth Plus, where we will continue this epic fairy tale, The Snow Queen. This has been episode 25 of Kids Myth Plus, presented to you by me, Aaron James, and a presentation of Brooklyn Sage Productions. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. And remember, keep asking questions and looking for the magic. It's all around us.